Hi everybody, it's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And this is Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we try our hardest to bring the best information and most accurate information that we can. I would like to share an experience I had earlier today in which I, as a new resident of the Pacific Northwest, and this being my first fall and winter season, I've invested in a happy light, uh, one of those daylight lamps that blasts your eyes with the furious light of the sun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Feels just like we're back in Florida. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not used to being in low light conditions for extended periods of time. So I tried it out, had my first little session with my happy light. And I feel like I really get what it feels like to be a lizard now. Oh, good. It was a very reptilian experience. <laughs> I felt like I was really just like basking. <laughs> well, because like, you know, when you have like a pet reptile, uh-huh. you usually have to have like a UV light for them to bask in. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's what I felt like. <laughs> Well, and then the cat moved it between us and the light, triggering that third Tuatara eye. <laughs> what do you call it? The parietal or something like that? It was like something in your brain that gave me a, a real sort of fight or flight response. It's like, oh no, predator. It's like, wait a minute. Where are the predators? <laughs> so I got to experience what it feels like to be a, a simple reptile basking in the sun, really connecting with my ancient reptilian roots. Very good. Yeah, that was fun. And it's my turn to go first this week. What do you bring us? This week I'm talking about the loggerhead shrike. I'm reading your face for any response whatsoever, and I'm I'm getting nothing. Bird? Yes, it All is right. a bird. Scientific name is Lanius Ludovicianus. That's fun. Species was submitted by Jeff either Trares or Trares. I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce your last name, but Jeff, as well as Brittany Miller. So thank you both. And Brittany also specifically suggested the northern shrike, but did include the loggerhead shrike in the request. Mm. So I'm putting them together to talk about the loggerhead shrike. Because the loggerhead shrike has a way cooler name. So that's what I want to talk about. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. I'm getting my information from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's website, allaboutbirds.org, as well as the American Bird Conservancy and Smithsonian's National Zoo and Conservation Biology Institute. Wow. Yeah. So to introduce you to this bird, this bird is up to 10 inches long or 25 centimeters with a wingspan of up to 13 inches or 33 centimeters. To put that into perspective, that's about the size of a robin or perhaps a cardinal. It's not a big bird, but it's it's a songbird, basically. Okay. This is actually a similar proportion to my animal today. Oh, interesting. We have some similarity. I think we're going to have some overlaps. Mm. They are a songbird. They have a squat little body with these tiny, dainty little feet, uh, short wings, and a kind of a long tail, like long tail feathers. They're gray with a black banded mask and like a white underbelly. And then their beak is short. But a very noticeable feature you will see when you look at them is that their beak is hooked. It's got this little curved, sharp, pointy hook at the end. I feel like I have heard of this in one case. Oh, yeah? Isn't it Darwin Finches that kind of do this kind of thing? I see what you're talking about. That's not really what I mean. So the Darwin Finches, their beaks would have different lengths and widths. Uh So like if they were made for 
picking up things like tough, really tough shelled like seeds and nuts and things. They would have these shorter beaks that would be more muscular. What I mean is that it's fully like a parrot or a hawk. The end of the beak is like curves around into a pointed hook. So more extreme. Yeah, yeah. Which is a little bit interesting for a songbird. That's not something you typically see in those little guys. Now, you will find these birds all across the United States and Mexico. During the breeding season, they can be found as far north as Canada. Hmm. So all over our sort of corner of the world. Their taxonomic family is Linaeidae, which are the shrikes, of which there are 34 species found all over the world. Most of what I'm going to be talking about for the loggerhead shrike is pretty applicable to most types of shrikes. Mm -hmm. And shrikes are most closely related to the corvids, like crows and jays. Okay. And I think some of the behaviors can be seen, like you can kind of see the resemblance, I think, with their their clever and morbid cousins. (laughs) So to get into the ratings for the loggerhead shrike, uh, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, we rate animals. The first category is effectiveness. This is physical adaptations, traits built into their body to let them do the things they're trying to do. I'm going to give the loggerhead shrike a 7 out of 10. And I'm verging on six, which I'm feeling a little harsh about. Like that feels like a bridge too far, but I'm I'm giving them a six, but they're like on thin ice about it. (laughs) All right. So despite their cute little songbird appearance, this bird is a ruthless killer. Mm -hmm. They have the nickname Butcher Bird. Oh, boy. (laughs) So unlike other small birds who may typically go for seeds or small like invertebrates, bugs, insects, stuff like that, the shrike will hunt and eat. Yes, invertebrates. It will happily eat bugs and insects, but they will go for vertebrates, including Mm. lizards, snakes, small mammals, and other birds. Wow. Just take them right out. (laughs) They are, like, basically, if it is roughly their size or smaller, it's on the menu. It's rough out here. Down for whatever. (laughs) Can you imagine? You're just, like, enjoying a lovely spring morning, and the birds are chirping, and then all of a sudden, one of them just murks you out of the air. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They have a few traits in their body that help them do this. First of all, the name loggerhead actually refers to one of their physical adaptations for taking down prey. They have a surprisingly large, bulky head and like a thick neck. So they're very muscular for their size. You can really tell when you look at them that like they're really top heavy. <laughs> they look like they should just fall right over. Oh. <laughs> it's very, it's, it's very, um, I don't know, Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of like giant head. I see. So this helps them tank damage from slamming into prey when they dive bomb it from above. Oh. Yeah, so it's good like cushioning and like muscular support for like slamming into things at like terminal velocity. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. You don't want to um take fall damage when you're doing that. But it also helps them lift things, like if they have to f- take it away. Lifting with their beak or... Yes. Okay. If it's heavier, they'll carry it in their feet, but um, they do have a good amount of like pulling power with their head because it's so thick. <laughs> Sick gains. <laughs> you may be wondering, carry it where? I'll come back to it. Okay. They have a, an important place they have to carry it to. <laughs> Also, if you really look at their beak, you'll see that just behind that hooked tip of it, you'll see this little notch in the beak. And this is something called the tomial tooth. Hmm. So the tomium is a word that means the cutting edge of the beak. And this is like a little projection that lets its beak catch on soft tissue and cut through it like a serrated knife. 
it kind of makes me think of like fish hooks almost Mm. like how a fish hook might have like behind the hook it might have another sort of like loop on it Mm -hmm. so that it might catch on the way out or something it's like a one serrate it's just the one serrate (laughs) and that's it but it makes it really good for like slicing through like skin or flesh or muscle or tissue or anything like that i don't like that (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty cool now i did take away some points they have tiny, dainty little feet. Just mm-hmm. the most itty-bitty, teeny feet. They don't really have the power and the talons and the muscle that you need to, like, take down large prey. So, like, if you look at a hawk's feet, they're buff, right? Like, they're they're very well equipped for gripping. It's good for, like, holding things down so that they can pull meat off with their beaks, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Not the shrike. Uh, so, you'd expect to see a bird that's, like going up against large prey to have more equipped feet and they really don't but don't worry they make up for that somewhere else that i'll get into in a minute Mm -hmm. so i find it interesting that even though this is a bird that does hunt and eat prey it is not considered a bird of prey this sounds like a a bird that is difficult to categorize (laughs) it reminds me so much of the grasshopper mouse how it's something that just like looks so sweet and adorable but would cut you immediately if given the chance like (laughs) would not hesitate to take you down immediately by any means like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah they're they're not considered a bird of prey even though they are a bird and they do hunt prey not a bird of prey which seems unnecessarily gatekeepy to me you know what i mean yeah it's it's like hawk soft word on like songbird hardware (laughs) (laughs) you're on this council but we do not grant you the rank of bird of prey (laughs) (laughs) take a seat this is unfair this is unfair (laughs) so moving on to ingenuity which for us is behavioral adaptations uh ways that the animal has figured out how to solve problems that it faces I'm giving the loggerhead shrike a 10 out of 10 for ingenuity. Really? They are making up for what I think is maybe the ill-suitedness of their body Mm -hmm. to what they're trying to do. Oh, is there a big brain in this big head? I think that big old noggin is full of ideas and thoughts and feelings. (laughs) First of all, like peregrine falcons, shrikes dive bomb prey from above, aiming their strike at the nape of the neck. Hmm. So they're going for that, like, straight to the jugular, right? Like, if they land their hit successfully, they can use that hooked beak and tomial tooth to sever the prey's spinal cord. Okay. That's a lot, <laughs> right? Like, that's crazy. Rendering it paralyzed and unable to fight back. So, oh, like, man. little body, maybe not made for tussling, perhaps, right? But if they could get you in one hit, right? You could get the one hit KO, you're good. Jurassic Park Velociraptor energy. <laughs> It's such a glass cannon. They're like, (laughs) they get that one good hit in and then, you know, it's okay that they're little and can't necessarily, you know, tumble as much. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Shrike's feet are small and poorly equipped for gripping large prey. So to make up for this, they turn to another method. I don't think you know what I'm about to say. What do you think I'm about to say? Um, my mind immediately went to uh, two shrikes. Two sh- oh, that one, would be good. One that holds good. and the other does the other stuff. That would be a good idea. Uh, it's impalement. With what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, they will carry their victim mm-hmm. to either 
thorny vegetation uh-huh. or something spiky, they're known for using barbed wire for this and skewer their prey on the spike, natural or not. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Let that marinate in your mind. Are these found in places with cactuses, perhaps? Yeah, they could be. Hmm. Yeah, they could be. But they don't need a cactus. It could just be like a thorny vine or just, a bush or something. I was just right? enjoying, well, not enjoying, but admiring the thought of using a cactus for this. Yeah, I'm sure they would. No hesitation, right? Yeah. Like they use anything that's like pointy, even like a twig or a branch or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so they skewer it and then drag the body down with their beak to like firmly put it in place mm-hmm. like they'll pull it down so that it's really like rooted on this thorn firmly grasp it yeah firmly grasp it <laughs> so this can serve a variety of delightful functions first of all it just holds the body in place so that they can tear meat off with their beak but it also serves as storage so that the bird can come back for it later so they just leave it there okay, and then leave and go get more and come back and they build up a little reservoir, right? They, they, it's called a larder where they'll have like a pantry basically of slain victims. <laughs> you know, if I came across this in the woods not knowing about this. You'd be like, this is a curse. This is a, surely the time, work. <laughs> time to leave. <laughs> this is cryptid behavior. Mm-hmm. This is paranormal activity. So when they do this, when they like bank up a bunch of them, that serves as a display for potential mates. So a male that has a bunch of prey skewered on these thorns or barbed wire or whatever, if he brings a female back and says, hey, check out all this cached prey I have, then she'll be like, wow, you are a great hunter Mm -hmm. and a very viable uh, mate for me. So... It could help impress the ladies. Showing off the meat locker. (laughs) Hey, girl, let's head back to my place. (laughs) I'll show you my collection of impaled victims. (laughs) It works every time. But an interesting thing about this strategy is that it also lets shrikes go for poisonous prey. So they're known for using this on things like lubber grasshoppers Mm. or monarch butterflies, which are very toxic and you would get sick and die if you just ate it outright so what they do is they make the kill bring it back to a thorn spike them on it and then leave them there for days Mm -hmm. they come back later and in that time the toxin in the insect's body has broken down and neutralized oh they're not poisonous anymore okay yeah so they can like let it sit for a couple of days like getting an avocado at the grocery store and then you got to come back. I wonder if it's like there's like a five minute window of time where they're ripe, where it's like, oh, man, now it's mushy. <laughs> but it's a cool way of letting them like kind of get around the toxic defense of some insects. They're clever little birds. Yeah. So like this is how I feel like this use of your environment as a tool is such corvid behavior, like very on brand with their cousins. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I watched this clip on YouTube that was from Nat Geo Wild about them doing this and the they had the goofiest like voiceover narration. They were going like they were like lizards shriked. Snakes shriked. (laughs) You're doing too much. (laughs) But it was very funny and I think it's gonna stick in my head for a while. I think next time I see someone just get absolutely KO'd, that's gonna be in the back of my head. Like shriked. Just get shriked, silly Billy. Get shriked. (laughs) 
Uh, oh, oh, something very cute about this is that baby shrikes practice impaling by holding objects and pretending to stick them on branches with their beaks. Mm, precious moments. <laughs> Baby's first impalement. <laughs> <laughs> so something that's interesting is that I think that their tiny dainty feet actually help them here because it lets them perch on surfaces that are covered in thorns mm. that other birds with bigger feet would not be able to navigate as easily as they do because they have those tiny little songbird feet. Mm -hmm. So it's a weakness for them in some ways, but I think in the way that they've gone about negating that weakness, it actually helps them. It's a cool mm. way of turning their disadvantage into an advantage. And then the last thing I want to talk about is that it is not very common, but loggerhead shrikes have been documented engaging in kleptoparasitism, which, as we've mentioned on this show before, is the practice of stealing prey from others. Mm -hmm. So shrikes like to hunt kind of like hawks, where they perch on high vantage points and just kind of like watch and to kind of scan the area for anything going on, like a, something coming out that they might be able to go swoop down on. Sometimes if they spot a smaller bird with a fresh catch, like um, something like a worm or a beetle larva, something like that, they will chase the bird and harass it mm -hmm. until it drops the prey. And then the shrike goes and gets the prey and, and flies off with it. Hmm. So like, if you are that little bird, that shrike might be trying to eat you. Like right. <laughs> it could be coming for you. So drop your prey, right? It's going to go for that to save your own life, right? Like this thing has to be like, a bird slender man. Like you see it coming after you, you gotta do whatever is in your power to get that thing off your tail. <laughs> this thing is terrifying. I'm so glad I'm bigger than two feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> and finally for aesthetics for the loggerhead trike, I'm giving them a six out of ten. They are decently cute as far as birds go, but that bar is pretty high. I, I might have missed it, but what is their coloration? Grayscale. Totally grayscale. Interesting. Just gray, black. They have these black little bandit bands mm -hmm. that I think is pretty cute. Um, and then white on the bottom. And then they have like black bands on their wings. They're actually really commonly mistaken for mockingbirds. They have the same sort of like white band on the wings. Right. Which makes me think that maybe I've seen shrikes before and mistook them for mockingbirds. They also apparently make a very similar sound. Like the, their calls are very similar and they are like visually similar. So... Mm. I just, like, we've seen better from songbirds. Some of them are so cute and so colorful. And so, you know, like, I feel like we could be doing more. Especially, like, they could be leaning into the edgy assassin look. You know? <laughs> like, they've got the bandit mask, but, like, give me more. I mean, they've got some good contrast potential with being covered in blood. <laughs> um, I mean, the only way they could improve it is just being, you know, snow white the, the, the whole over, you know? I would, I would like to see some sort of, like... I don't know, something to indicate how like ruthless and brutal they are. That would be cool. Face tattoo. Yeah, that's the way. <laughs> what would it say? Um, hmm. Thunder striked. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. There. That's pretty good. I like that. So, although this species is not necessarily listed as endangered, they are on the decline. They're on a pretty steep decline, actually. Mm -hmm. um, many of their subspecies are locally endangered, like the eastern loggerhead shrike. But populations all over the country are decreasing, and it's not yet fully understood why loggerhead shrike populations are declining all over the country. One popular idea is that the loss of native grasslands 
to things like development and agriculture and just like invasive grasses and things like that is providing less habitat for shrikes and also for the things that they hunt because they rely on these open grasslands with little things for them to hunt that they can see. But also that grassland has to be surrounded by vantage points. Like they need a little bit of both, right? They need the open field and tall trees and things where they can get up to get the height to get their point of view, but also for like getting speed, right? Mm -hmm. When they're diving on things. So the loss of native grasslands is difficult for them because they rely on them for that. that, That's been a big problem from what I understand in, the United States particularly, is yeah. just the loss of those kind of grasslands. Right, because we're seeing a lot of like invasive grasses that are taking taking over, mm. and um, but also people just clearing land away and like converting it to agricultural use or things like or that. Or even, uh, I've seen a lot of people do some work around trying to restore those in their local areas. Right. But it seems like a lot of city planners would rather, you know, a mowed area of ground that's not used for anything versus an actual, you know, native grass meadow. But it's so ugly. Just like rolling hills of nothingness. Yeah. It's so ugly. Like, let it grow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just let it. Let your meadows be meadows. Now, organizations like the American Bird Conservancy have done a lot of good work in changing policies and establishing protective measures to protect loggerhead shrikes and restore their habitats. Um, And the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute has been operating a breeding and reintroduction program that as of an article that I found that was published in November of 2021, they said they had released over 1,300 shrikes into the wild. Wow. Yeah. So there's some hope for them. You know, this is a bird that reproduces pretty rapidly, like short time span in between generations, having quite a few offspring at a time. There's hope for them, right? Like if we can kind of address what's going on, then they could bounce back back pretty easily um we just have to give them the means to do so so there's hope for them and all the other creatures that live in their domain of terror i suppose (laughs) now i did want to talk a little bit about why i felt so motivated to talk about the loggerhead shrike this week because you know we had gotten this request for it and it was definitely something that was on my radar but um there are two songs specifically that i'd like to mention one of them is a uh hosier perhaps Hozier. I don't actually know how to pronounce this man's name. I'm sorry to this man, but you know who he is, the the forest man. Uh, the song is called Shrike, and it includes the line, quote, remember me, love, when I'm reborn as the Shrike to your sharp and glorious thorn. Oh. Yeah. So a reference to the impalement behavior, yes. which is pretty cool. <laughs> and the whole like song is just dripping with like bird references and stuff. But also, recently, within like the last two weeks or so, I found on TikTok through just popping up on my For You page, this artist that performs under the name Sparkbird and hmm. makes these songs that are really, really like beautiful with this sort of like lush instrumentation, very orchestral sounding um, for people that like things like Cosmo Sheldrake. It's very like that sort of energy. And Sparkbird, uh, they have a song called November. That has been all over my For You page, but I will play a clip for your enjoyment now. One small sound, one small bite, one tomiok tooth, one loggerhead strike must cure my invertebrate doppelganger on barbed wire in a parallel universe. My tongue parallelly bleeds one small drop in a month full of blood. 
cool lyrics, direct references to loggerhead strikes and yes. their impalement um, tendencies. It's a beautiful song. So I, I recommend that anyone who is into that sort of music, definitely go look it up and look up more music by Sparkbird. Sparkbird currently has less than 10,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. So this, I feel like is a golden opportunity to like get in super early on like the ground floor. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. get in now and then be like, I liked Sparkbird way back when, you know, like you can really be, in that entry level yeah, fan. Yeah, totally. This is investing in later bragging rights. <laughs> <laughs> Stonks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, that, that song has been stuck in my head like crazy. It is a really beautiful song that I, I really enjoyed. And it made me feel really motivated to learn more about the loggerhead shrike, which is like such a cool way of, I guess, inspiring passion for nature through music, right? Because yeah. I was like, oh, man, this lyric is awesome. This lyric rips. I love this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then wanted to learn more about the birds. So I hope that uh, other people have that experience, too. And that's the loggerhead strike. Well, thank you. Thank you. Let's take a quick break to hear from our friends on the Max Fun Network, and then we'll get to your animal. Folks, we get it. Keeping up with an actual play podcast in this economy is a tough sell. That's why we have great news for you. The Adventure Zone is changing up its format. We're going to be doing some shorter seasons, more experimental stuff. There's never been a better time to get on board the zone. And if you're sick of listening to our voices, we get that too. So we're including some guests Uh, on this upcoming one. We've got Kate Welch and Gabe Hicks, who are incredible. And you want us to try out some new games? You got it. We've got the new Marvel Multiverse RPG. We're using that and with a really brilliant GM doing it. It's dad. What he's saying is it's dad. Dad is doing it. It's dad doing it. You can listen every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm glad you said that because nobody says that. Can I just say thank you to you for such a thoughtful interview? Oh my God. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Bullseye. Interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. Listen to the Bullseye podcast only from NPR and Maximum Fun. So, Christian, what animal do you have for us this week? This week, I'm talking about the five-lined skink. I'm so excited for this. Yes. I love these little guys. Yes. Also known as the blue-tailed skink. Scientific name, Pasteodon fasciatus, which roughly translates to toothy striped. Toothy striped. That is two things that they are. (laughs) This species was submitted by Naomi Mulligan. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you, Naomi. And I'll be getting my information from Animal Diversity Web primarily, along with some other things I'll cite along the way. For those unfamiliar, a skink is a type of lizard. They're so cute. Yes. They're so good. Something that kind of separates them from other lizards. They usually have pretty short legs. They do. (laughs) Kind of squat. Stumpy. They have long tails usually, and um, the neck isn't all that pronounced usually. So, like, the separation between body and head is not so defined. (laughs) (laughs) It's just no neck whatsoever. Just Mm -hmm. goes straight from head into chest. It's very good. Uh, So these guys, they range from 12.7 to 21.6 centimeters long or five to eight and a half inches. That is including their tail, which is significant. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like most of what you're looking at Mm -hmm. when you're looking at this lizard. Yeah. Uh, When they're younger, they have a striking blue tail uh, Mm. that kind of fades in color as they get older. I didn't know that because I have seen these lizards so often, Mm -hmm. but that striking feature is so noticeable that like i guess i just assumed they were all just like that 
Yeah. So um, I'm not sure what it is about that. Maybe they're they're more common to see when they're young. I don't mm. know. Or maybe I just don't notice them when they don't have that bright blue tail. Maybe. Uh, they have a darker color, like background color, brown or black. Mm-hmm. And then, as their name suggests, they have five lines or stripes that run the length of their body. Mm. One down the center and then two on either side. And it's actually referring to those lines that are white. Which, when I was thinking of them, I was imagining them, I guess, in the negative space. Oh, (laughs) I see what you mean. Well, are they white with black stripes or black with white stripes? (laughs) The white stripes are much smaller than the rest of it. So I guess that would be one way to go about it. Yeah, I didn't even know they had white stripes. These are like, you don't really (laughs) notice them, I guess. Yeah. Very skunk-like. In in stripe patterns, oh, I see stripes that like run down the body rather sure. than like across it. Yeah, where you can find them is a large part of the eastern and central United States. Um, where we used to live in Florida was mm-hmm. actually very close to the, its southernmost range. Oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. So they're not in like the southern half of Florida. We just got lucky. Yeah, <laughs> in that nice little sweet spot for them. And what's weird is looking at their range, like on a map, it's there's a scoop of eastern Florida where they're not in. Like it's around like St. Augustine and down to Daytona. That for some reason that there's like a little dip in their territory. Well, they don't like the tr- touristy stuff. Yeah, it's the traffic. <laughs> it's it's overpriced. <laughs> They prefer moist but not wet areas with lots of options for hiding and basking. Mm, that's two things lizards like to do. Yes. That's the lizard lifestyle. <laughs> so maybe that's why they, they steer clear of southern Florida because it's too wet. Oh, that's true. Um, they belong to the taxonomic family Sensidae, which are the skinks. A notable relative there is the blue-tongued lizard. Are you talking about the blue-tongued skink? Yes. So I'll tell you something kind of funny about the blue tongue skink. They're very commonly kept as pets. Yes. And a lot of times for a shorthand, people will refer to blue tongue skinks with just the abbreviation BTS when they're talking about this Why? lizard. Because blue tongue skink, you know, it's just it's quicker to write. You know, you don't want to write out blue tongue skink every single time. Okay. BTS is also a K-pop. <laughs> band a okay. very very popular k-pop band okay but when that band got very popular i did not know that at first mm-hmm. and i was just like why is everyone talking about blue tongue skinks right now <laughs> i was so, so confused because this was like around the time when i worked in like at a pet store so we talked about pet reptile keeping and mm-hmm. i was like I did not expect all of these people on my Facebook to be talking about blue tongue skinks. It was BTS memes. <laughs> I see. Yeah. I see. So moving into our first category of effectiveness, I'm giving a 9 out of 10. Wow. Yes. That's good. And almost all of it is because of the ability to purposely remove their tails. And this is objectively a very funny thing to me. That they have a whole part of their body that they just yeah. can do without. <laughs> and this is definitely not something specific to this species. It's fairly common in lizards in general and other animals too, actually. But it's especially noticeable in this one. Yeah. <laughs> so they will drop some or all of its tail to distract a predator as it escapes. And that's interesting because the tail, when they're younger, is very brightly colored and also when it disconnects it's also still moving and wriggling around now this is creepy (laughs) (laughs) yes if you're not used to seeing this 
It's horrifying. It's very body horror <laughs> because the tail drops off and it just keeps, it's flailing and like mm-hmm. these erratic movements. It's terrifying yes. if you don't know what you're looking at. And the technical name for this is called caudal autotomy. Mm. Oh, caudal meaning like the tail. Yes. And okay. autotomy meaning to self-sever. Self-sever. <laughs> <laughs> this is funny because very recently I saw a TikTok or maybe it was a Reddit post of someone that took a, a short video of a wriggling blue tail in, mm. in like a garden like hey what is this <gasps> oh it was just the tail yeah. and they oh that's funny and someone was like oh that was from a, a five line skink that dropped its tail to distract a predator and it looks like it worked <laughs> <laughs> because the, the skink was nowhere to be seen in this video <laughs> right although it would be bad if the skink was gone because the predator got the skink and left the tail behind. I think the implication was the human startled it. Oh, I see. I see. Oh, <laughs> the human, oh, the human is the predator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much so they didn't even see the skink that dropped it. That's true. I haven't seen them drop their tail, but I have seen this happen on our back porch in Florida. And this is something that skinks and other lizards that can drop their tail, mm. something that they'll do. Is that if they know a predator is looking at them, mm-hmm. they know a predator is like stalking them and maybe going to go for them, they will intentionally wiggle their tail in a very like methodical S-shaped movement. It's not mm. their typical like flicking back and forth. Mm. It's like they'll do a very sort of deliberate S-shaped swish back and forth mm. to like draw the predator's attention to the tail so that then when they pounce... They'll go for the tail and then they can just drop it and leave it behind and run away. So they like preemptively draw attention away from the rest of their body. And sure. I saw it happen because our cat was looking out the glass door at a five line skink that was basking because you remember how our porch was like riddled with them in the summertime. Mm -hmm. These things would be everywhere. We would have like multiples of them on our porch at a time. And one of them was basking in the sun and our cat was walking through the door and it was just like luring the cat with this tail, like swishing (laughs) back and forth. I have a video of it because it was crazy. The cat was so mad. He was doing his little Uh, so I couldn't find it specifically for this species, but uh, lizards usually have one of two ways of disconnecting the tail to where they have like a, a breaking point in a, in a specific vertebra mm. for the, the tail to disconnect or it's designed to break off between the vertebra. Um, some even will have like a sphincter muscle that tightens that does that break. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> And then and also constricts like to stop the bleeding. Oh, that's smart. That's a good yeah. idea because I guess that is just lopping off an entire part of your body, yeah. right? You'd have to not be then leaving – because that would defeat the purpose if you're leaving a blood trail behind you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that they have a little perforated like tear away, like school notebook paper. Right. <laughs> uh, one study suggests uh, this species' max sprint speed is negatively affected after losing its tail. What does that mean, negatively affected? It means it doesn't move as fast. Oh, no. Yeah. Which, huh. well, I think the idea behind the study was, you know, you would think that sometimes it would benefit, right? Because right. it's less weight to move. Go faster, yeah. And typically the tail isn't directly involved with locomotion, mm. but not so in most. You know most what it is? The, hmm. When they drop their tail, they lose their racing stripes and oh, then they don't go as fast. No. <laughs> Some thoughts around that could be like it's it's maybe balance related. 
Oh, that's true. Because their body is mm. sort of noodly shaped. And mm. when they're running, they're doing a lot of side to side, sort of swinging around. Right. I could see how that would mess with it. Mm -hmm. Or uh, it could be, it could be um, stress hormone related. Oh, yeah. That is not fun. Yeah. And that was from the paper Tail Autonomy, Tail Size, and Locomotor Performance in Lizards by McElroy Bergman in 2013. Nice. Uh, according to the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation... <gasps> <laughs> My mutuals. <laughs> if you don't follow the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife on like every social media, the, the person who runs it, I'm mutuals with her. She's so funny. They're like <laughs> social media icons. Continue, please. Sure. Uh, this species can regrow its tail. Oh, good. Phew. <laughs> yes, which is not the case in all things that can um, you know drop a tail. Right. Uh, it's more likely to fall off when they're younger and it's, it is initiated by the skink. It is, this is not a case where it has to be pulled off by mm. like a predator or something. So this is something that the skink does itself. Yeah. I can quit my tail anytime <laughs> I want. Yeah. <laughs> and the tail is used to store fat energy. So there is a cost to losing it. Oh, you know, we see this in other like geckos. Mm -hmm. I, I know like yes, store a lot sure. of fat in their tails. Yep. And that, that cost becomes more and more costly <laughs> the mm. older they get, especially uh -huh. um, for females that uh, are laying eggs because uh, a lot of that energy goes into producing eggs. Yeah. You do need a fat storage when you're making more mm -hmm. of you. Yes. But then the, the big ones, like we've seen some of the big like adult ones and they get real chunky. Yeah. Yeah. And their colors kind of fade as they get older. So they might more be... More mature. More now, subdued. Now, it's worth noting that in most of the United States, the term blue-tailed skink or mm. blue-tailed lizard refers to this species. However, there are pockets where there is a related skink that is invasive from <gasps> Africa. Really? Yes. Do they also have blue tails? They do. And, oh! and they're, I, think I, I think it was in Florida and I think California. Stole their look and their home range. This <laughs> so is incredible. Usually this is the species people are talking about in North America. Oh, uh, I see. But it could be something else <laughs> in some places. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read just quote from another paper because I found it so interesting. When regeneration of the tail occurs in lepidosaurs, which are lizards and close relatives. Yeah. It consistently produces a regenerated tail that is distinctly different from the original. Whoa. Most notably, the regenerated tail has a continuous cartilaginous rod at its center rather than an articulated column composed of vertebrae. Whoa, that's completely different. Yes. So it doesn't regrow the bone back. It regrows <gasps> just a cartilage rod to kind of... Like a rigid yeah. sort of structure. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting because I guess that maybe implies that they don't need that articulated structure anymore as badly or maybe they just can't make it anymore maybe yeah so i guess with that kind of setup uh they at least have the balance right mm. that the tail offers but if there's any other kind of more advanced use of it like i don't they would probably lose it yeah that that behavior i was describing of curling the tail back and forth in this sort of like s shape would rely on like articulation of the tail yes. so yep. i guess they wouldn't be able to do that anymore if they'd already dropped their mm. tail once that's really interesting though that like it grows back different yeah huh yeah weird it also visibly will look different in many lizards mm. um, like you can see where the point is that it had <laughs> dropped a tail and regrown another one and that was from a paper titled evolutionary loss of animal regeneration pattern and process by Bailey and was in integrative and comparative biology in 2010 oh cool yes thank you 
That's neat. It is. And there's a lot more to that paper. It wasn't just about lizards. There's a, a, lots of other animals that do mm. this too. It's pretty interesting. Uh, some of the things about their effectiveness, they're fast. They are fast. <laughs> they go fast. They, are, they go so fast. <laughs> and they do have a mouthful of teeth that they will use to bite. Toothy stripes? Toothy yes. stripes. <laughs> so I thought that was all very interesting. Yeah. Anyone who's ever tried to catch lizards out in Florida will tell you those mm-hmm. suckers are fast. Some, I, I, I'm going to keep coming back to the tail dropping thing, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the tails can be so, so important for energy storage that a lizard that drops its tail runs away might come back to see if the tail is still there and then we'll eat it. Ah, <gasps> uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> to get that energy back. Ah! <laughs> Mortifying! That's disgusting! <laughs> I want them to not do that! <laughs> they have to stop! <laughs> I'm gonna camp out next to a dropped tail with a little spray bottle. If he comes back, I'm gonna be like, hey! Cut it out! I don't like that. Yeah. Oh. Well, okay. That's all jokes. Good for them. Yes. I'm glad that they're. I'm glad. No. Reduce, reuse, recycle, I yeah, guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no food waste here. <laughs> uh, moving on to ingenuity. I'm just giving them a 6 out of 10, which is mostly around some interesting parenting things they do. <gasps> really? I thought. So to keep the eggs warm after they're hatched, females will bask in the sun, then return to the nest to transfer the body heat to the eggs. Oh, she's bringing the warmth from the sun mm-hmm. to her children. Oh, <laughs> Bless her. I thought that was nice. That is so sweet. And they will also do communal nests, such that the eggs are always protected, but, you know, the mother lizards are able to kind of cycle out so that they can go eat and such. That is a very surprising amount of, like, cooperation for reptiles, which are not known for sort of communal-based lifestyles. (laughs) Yeah. They will typically turn on each other at the drop of a hat. <laughs> they are very territorial um, outside of children and mating. Mm. So, yes. <laughs> I suppose they have boundaries, maybe. <laughs> That's very interesting. I've never heard of a of a reptile doing that. Yeah. And then aesthetics. I'll give it a 7 out of 10. It's a nice little lizard. Um, the blue is, you know, not all that common in nature, I feel like. I feel like, as a human, with human eyesight, mm-hmm. very easy to see. Right. Like, you could pick them out instantly. Well, back to that thing you were talking about, like, trying to lure predator attacks to the tail. The color is part of that. Because mm. um, the tail, only the tail is that color, and it's the very tip. So it's it's really kind of forcing the, the attention of a predator towards that tail. That would probably work especially well with a predator that's looking for something metallic blue mm. like a lot of like insects mm-hmm. are like tend to be that metallic blue color mm-hmm. so something that's looking for something like a sweat bee like a bird that might eat like a sweat bee or something might be looking mm-hmm. for that metallic blue color and be distracted by the metallic blue tail yeah it makes sense and it is striking it is gorgeous mm-hmm. the tail is so pretty mm-hmm. with the high contrasting stripes too it's a really pretty lizard yeah yeah i'm surprised you only gave him a six Seven. Seven. I'm surprised you only gave him a seven. The neck, I think, makes him look goofy to me. <laughs> Hater. Hater. It's, a, it's, it's, it's goofy in an endearing way. I'll give him it that. Is. Kind of like Toothless the dragon. Sure. A little bit. <laughs> they have those sort of round features. Yeah. So just kind of wrapping it up, their conservation status is of least concern for the IUCN. No, they're fine. Yeah, they're doing great. They can sometimes have problems with very localized extinction. Mm. Like if they have a pocket of, of their population that gets affected by something. Sure. Uh, they can be locally extinct, but 
globally, they're doing great. I remember that one year, I think the first year that we lived in our in our house, we had so many skinks mm-hmm. on the back porch. There was like five or six of them. They, you remember they would they lived up in those columns yeah. on the back porch, and they would come out. Uh, and then if anything, if anyone went outside, they'd all like skitter away. But mm-hmm. it was like the first year they were everywhere. And then none after that. I wonder what that was all about. I don't know. But I remember us noticing it. Mm-hmm. Like we noticed we were like, hey, where's our little guys? Yeah. Our little yeah. guys are gone. Well, now I think about it. I think um, a lot of our reptile observations declined mm. as the years went on there. Yeah. We had lots of snakes at first too. Did. But... Yeah. Maybe uh, the neighborhood filled out a little bit with people. Yeah. People don't take too kindly to our scaly friends. Yeah. My last little thing here. They do very often host the common chigger. The what? I've never heard of this in my life. It is a small mite. Oh. So related to spiders and ticks and things. Okay. That particular one will bite humans. So maybe keep that in mind before oh, you pick Oh, you know them what? Up. I've heard of this on the bug spray bottles. The bug spray bottles will oh, yeah. say... It's like towards the end of the things that they protect. <laughs> They'll say like, <laughs> like you know, uh, mosquitoes, ticks, and chiggers. Right? Yeah, They'll say yeah. it on there. Yeah. yeah. But skinks carry them? Yes. They're, they're very commonly a host for them. Sounds like a them problem. <laughs> so good reason for you not to be trying to run these things down and chase them and pick yeah, them up. Yeah. Uh, uh, right after, you know, my, maybe forcing them to lose a tail no that's not nice <laughs> did you ever do that thing that kids would do where you catch lizards and put them on your fingers put what on my fingers lizards just hold do you mean just hold the lizard no like you catch the lizard and then you they bite your finger oh. and then you like you know what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about but no i've never done that oh well i just... was a good boy <laughs> was <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my <laughs> lawful good husband. <laughs> now I channeled the darkness into Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's where the darker just coming from. <laughs> that's your backstory. I see. You play a lizard boy in your darker. I do. Yeah. Lizardy boy. So that is the five line skink. Thank you so much. That was so wonderful. I'm glad I get to understand my little friends a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I always look for them out in the summers and stuff. They're so nice to find. Yep. Not here, though. Not anymore, but <laughs> but but we will be, you know, visiting family and stuff in Florida. And so when we're there, they'll, we'll be there in the winter, so we probably won't see them. Yeah. I'll be reunited with them once once more someday, <laughs> I'm sure. Thank you, Christian. That was great. And thank you, dear listener, for spending this time with us. It means a lot to us, and we really appreciate you being here with us. If you liked what you heard today, you can leave behind a good review for us on your podcast app of choice. Uh, it's been a while since I dove into our podcast reviews, but I did want to put put a quick little spotlight on some of our nice reviews mm. recently because I like them and they make me happy. One person boldly said, move over, ologies, which is very, very sweet. That was from Pest one 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 good job thanks uh they also said ellen has an excellent radio voice ellen does wow thanks and also t-bird callie said that this is the perfect show for zoo adults like disney adults but the zoo very good which is great that's very good. <laughs> I like that categorization of adult because I am that adult who goes to the zoo by themselves. Sometimes you can get both. Uh, yeah, you can. Listen, mouse ears, 
They work. It's, <laughs> you could be Mickey Mouse or just a regular mouse. <laughs> uh, and Becky Yuma said 20 out of 10. Said, I honestly wish the show updated daily. That's how addicted I now am. Ellen and Christian are so charming. I could just burst. Oh, I know. I love that. That's so sweet. I appreciate that. Thank you all for your kind words. Yes, thank you. And if you want to hang out with us on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, TikTok. Links to everything will be in the uh, show description. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network. So if you want to learn more about the network, the other shows that are on there, they got a new show recently. It is called Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries. Um, I actually, I was listening to it a good bit while I was driving downtown earlier today, and it's a really fun show to listen to. I listened to their episode about Neopets. Oh, I see. Yeah. It was very validating of my personal <laughs> experience as a child mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> enjoyed that a lot so um go over to maximumfund.org to learn more about the network and the shows and how you can be part of supporting our show and finally we'd like to thank louis Zong for our theme music that's all thanks y'all thanks everybody bye, bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.